When Disney decides that its most diabolical and evil villain needs a gritty reboot prequel, what we get is 2021's Cruella. Now, you may not agree with how I characterize Cruella in terms of her ranking in the Disney villains. I might not even agree with how I characterized (laughs) Cruella as a ranking in the Disney villain cosmos. But we are doing two things. We are talking about the live action reboot slash prequel that Disney has put out for Cruella. And we're ranking the top most loathsome villains in the Disney animated universe. What is up, my nerds? Welcome inside pop culture with fanboy and know-it-all. And back inside, our crazy brains. I'm Jake. I am Paul. And uh, Paul... Give us a little bit of give us a little bit more of your villainous laugh. Do you have other versions of your villainous laugh? I only have one villainous laugh because I'm not particularly villainous, but I I have practiced this laugh for a good long while. My my grandfather had the most villainous laugh of all time, but his voice was a couple of octaves lower than mine. So I just do what I can. <laughs> Yours is a little bit more like the Goblin King from The <laughs> Hobbit, where it's it's a little creepy, but also a little creaky. <laughs> well, it, it did sort of fade out a little bit there. It was uh, it was tough for me making my list, which we'll get to later, because so I resonate, of course, with these animated movies in particular, but in general, with solid villain voice acting. It's oh, yeah. no no doubt it's part of the reason why Javier Bardem in No Country for Old Men is up at the top of my list for the, one of the greatest villains of all time, which we have an episode on. And you guys can go back and listen to that. But Do it's you his think voice. We have just too many episodes these days. It seems like we've done an episode on everything. Hey, we're not even close <laughs> to doing an episode on everything. <laughs> we are finding all new ways of approaching this. And, uh, we're not just talking about live action. We're limiting ourselves to Disney animated villains. Disney animated villains. That's and you right. tried to get Thanos in there, which would squeak by on a technicality on two different points. But but no, no Thanos is we, on this list. We left him out. We left him out. Um, so all that to say, as I was making my list, it, I did have to force myself to not put certain people on the list just because of their voices. Like, for example, Shere Khan from The Jungle Book. I mean, the tiger, his voice in that film is just – that really does it for me. That low, resonant, really baritone villain voice just nails it. Very British, very menacing, very Bond villain-ish when you think about it. Yes. You know? Very, um, yeah, he's a very creepy villain voice. And the fact that he's a tiger and could tear you limb from limb, that doesn't help either. No, but he doesn't also strike me as very loathsome because he's just trying to do what tigers do. And that's be the boss and get some food. You know, it's pretty straightforward stuff. Yeah, we will, we will get into this, but you're right. I mean, some of these villains, I mean, 
sure, we don't want to get on their bad side, but some of them, they're just doing what they do or they're, they're heartbroken or, or, you know, they're just trying to, to be the fairest of them all. And is there anything wrong with that to be the fairest of them all? I mean, if you didn't try to kill somebody. Right. The end might be okay, but doesn't justify the means. <laughs> exactly. As my as my pops always told me. But you know, it's a great segue into the live action Cruella from Disney. Because perhaps, perhaps uh Disney has managed to to do something with this villain that uh doesn't necessarily fit in the villainous cosmos that Disney has created previously. And so I think that teaser means it's time before we get to our rankings of the top animated Disney villains, before we get to the most least important thing, it's time right now to talk about 2021's Cruella. Cruella de Vil, if she doesn't scare you, no evil thing will. Yes, we are talking about Cruella, featuring Emma Stone, two of the greatest Emmas in theater right now, theater, movies, right now, Emma Stone. Nerd. <laughs> that other Emma, Emma Thompson, She's uh, she is really the prime villain in this. Cruella is surprisingly sympathetic in this movie for a good chunk of it. Um, and I'm not sure how I feel about that, Jake. Um, it was an interesting movie to watch. I do have to say it was very stylish, very smooth, not gritty at all, um, but an interesting take on a character who is considered to be by many one of the most evil in Disney's evil pantheon. That's fair. And we'll just say right here that uh, spoilers, I think, are going to be necessary in this discussion of Cruella to to speak to Paul's point about her perhaps not being that villainous, this film not being that gritty as a reboot slash prequel. We're going to get into some spoilers for this version of Cruella. So if you really care about that sort of thing, come back to us, join us after you've either paid $30 to Disney to get it on <laughs> Disney plus or gone to the theater or waited for it to come out on uh, yeah. Off of premiere access. Exactly. Three, three months later, we'll, we'll see you in another several months. That's right. We'll, we'll, we'll still be here. And we'll still sound exactly like we do now. <laughs> exactly. So Cruella was sort of an interesting thing. Just to do a quick recap, it is, as you say, uh, a prequel. We see Cruella from the time she is a little tiny baby, and it turns out that the black and white hairstyle that she rocked so well in all of her movies is natural. She actually has the black and white hair, right? It is completely natural, not an affectation one little bit. Um, she also has a very black and white personality, you could say, Um as she's growing up, her mother tries to guide her in some some good, wholesome, productive ways. And 
Cruella, who is actually known as Estella, tries her best to to follow in her mother's footsteps sometimes. Um, but when she's feeling bad, she turns into Cruella, and she feels bad very much of the time. She goes to a terrible boarding school, lots of bullies, so she has to beat up those bullies quite frequently. That gets her kicked her out of boarding school. She goes... Uh, she and her mom, in desperation, essentially have to leave, uh, and they want to go to London. Is that right? They want to Correct. go to London, and, yep. but they need a little bit of money to uh, to get themselves back on their feet. So Cruella Estella's mom goes to what she calls an old friend during this lavish party. Um, Estella's mom tells her to stay in the car, stay put, don't make trouble. Estella does not do this. She causes quite the scene at the party. And one thing leads to another. She's attacked by three gigantic, fearsome Dalmatians who chase after her and then eventually seem like they topple her mother off of a cliff. And so Estella becomes an orphan within the first 15 minutes of the movie. Yeah, maybe even the first seven or eight minutes of the movie. Yeah, the the recap was probably longer than the uh, the actual time allotted in the movie. Um, so we essentially see Estella grow up an orphan with her good friends Horace and Jasper in the streets of London, where she steals, she robs, they cheat people out of money, but it's all done very nicely in a way. Right. It's and, a little uh, Robin Hood-ish with less <laughs> redistribution of the wealth. Exactly. To them, they're yeah. redistributing them. Just to a, they're redistributing to a smaller pool of candidates. <laughs> but Estella's dream is to become this fashion designer. And so she has this chance to go to this very posh fashion design house. And that's sort of where the story really begins to roll along. There the recap, go. as done by Paul Acey. There you go. That's what you have to look forward to in several months when you watch this. That's right. Yeah, that's the, uh, you know, that's what you got coming down the pipe, as they say. So with Cruella, as previewed, the trailers, Paul, I have to say, for this film definitely leaned into, and at least most of the ones I saw, into this idea that this was going to be a gritty, grungy prequel. Kind of leaning into the 1970s alt rock, you know, punk, punk rock yeah. uh, re- revolt of right. the youth against the the buttoned up culture that came before them that they yeah. felt constrained by. Yes, and, and it's sort of meant to be that uh, juxtaposition to the same struggle that Cruella slash Estella is going through in her own journey. I mean, that much is pretty. Uh, on the nose overall, but done in a very fun way because, Paul, the music's just so darn fun. Oh, the music is really good in this, actually. It's very good. Um, that was something I really noticed because, you know, the the that late 1960s, early 70s time frame, I, I can't say that I was a big mod music listener at that point in time. I was still listening to, you know, Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers and such. But um, as an adult, I love some of that music, and it, it really does well. I think that the uh, the trailers, as you say, they do present a much darker 
Cruella. And I think that is accurate. It is definitely a darker Cruella than what we have seen before in a way. But it's so glamorous and so sleek and so fashion-oriented. You know, this is really a fashion movie in a sense. Um, you just have all this incredible, all these incredible outfits that are going along and, and all the music that you hear, it feels very smooth, very posh. And so gritty, it just doesn't, didn't feel that gritty to me. It doesn't feel, it ends up not feeling very gritty at all. The, any grit that is there does feel like a, a manufactured, wasn't this punk revolt cool sort of way rather than in any actual grittiness or, you know, some manufactured grittiness in the storyline where it's like, oh, isn't this one character, Emma Thompson's character, quite evil and psychotic? And it suggests that there's some grittiness that we have not seen and is only somewhere in the backstory. (laughs) One of my favorite lines, we're getting to our perhaps our very first spoiler, um, one of my favorite lines in the movie is where when Stella essentially confronts the Baroness and says, you killed my mother. And the Baroness says, you'll have to get more specific. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. She, exactly. And I have to say that, uh, that Emma Thompson as the Baroness, hands down, far and away, my favorite part of this movie. Now, I'm on record as being a big Emma Thompson fan, but it's true. You are a Homer. Uh, she is, she is hilarious in this movie and she makes this delightfully wicked villain just seems so cultured, so posh. You hate her and yet she is pretty cool. You wouldn't mind sitting down and just listening to her talk and, and, and all that kind of stuff over lunch. And wherein, therein, I would say, in this little, in this little segue, lies an interesting thing that struck me about this movie, and that is that I believe that Cruella, this live action prequel, fails as a prequel to 101 Dalmatians slash as an origin story for the Cruella of the cartoon universe. Uh, but I wonder if that is what makes it actually really succeed as an entertaining movie. Mm, and, uh, and I say that having seen several of these live action versions of classic stories that Disney has put out. And uh, some of them have tried to stay really close to the source material, like The Lion King. Others have played uh, a little bit. More had a little bit more fun around the edges, like uh, the Aladdin with uh, Will Smith as the genie, and there's other examples out there. Beauty or not Beauty and the Beast? Well, yeah, Beauty and the Beast and um, Lady and the Tramp and others. This felt like something completely different from the originals that you might be used to, or even from the live action remakes that Glenn Close and company did in the '90s, right? Yes. This is this dramatically departs from the source material to such a degree that I finished the film. I was like, this makes zero sense as a Cruella DeVille origin story. Yeah, well, based on the Cruella DeVille that we've met elsewhere, specifically in the animated. And yet I had way more fun with this movie than I expected I would. 
It's an interesting take, and I, I can't say that I disagree with you because it really does feel like the Cruella that we, f- we find here is she is not a nice person, granted. Uh, she does not some very nice things in this movie, and yet she, the, the movie, because the Baroness is really the main evildoer, uh, it makes Cruella feel very, well, she's of a piece of that punk movement, right? And that's very hip, very happening. Um, she is an orphan. She is put upon by the Baroness. We can see the motivations that, that, that propel her to, to what she does in the movie. And it stops short of making her the puppy killing fiend that she becomes in the animated movie, right? It, uh, there's probably 20, 30, 40 years worth of character development that can happen between this movie and 101 Dalmatians. But you do have, it's, it's hard to follow the path to where she gets from this movie. You like Cruella, especially compared to, uh, to uh, the Baroness. Right. And it goes out of its way, to your point, it goes out of its way to be like, of course, she would never hurt a dog. And in fact, takes the dogs in as her own. Uh, and and it's not that it was never the dog's fault. It was always the their owner's fault. Yeah. And she can't and they can't even have her. And where I agree with this from maybe a moral and ethical standpoint from a creating a compelling villain standpoint, they can't even bring Cruella to the point of taking revenge, murderous revenge on the person that killed her own mother, you know, her perceived mother and ruined her own life and apparently murdered many other people (laughs) along the way. At least one other mother. That's right. At least one other mother. They don't even get her to the point of being able to kill that individual. And they go out of their way to be like, oh, she would never hurt a dog. Like that was – and in fact, she'll take the dogs in. And wait, Anita Darling and Roger are her friends that she gives puppies to as gifts. And it just – it it really works for this movie and the story this movie wants to tell. But you're just like you have to just dis you just have to disconnect it from what's come before. Well, you do, and I I think in in that way it feels a lot like Maleficent. You know the uh, Angelina Jolie uh, live action versions of of that character, who uh, is one of the most notorious villains in in Disney history, right? Um, I was very nervous about those Maleficent movies when I saw them because, man, the the character that we see in Sleeping Beauty is just so delightfully terrible. Um, I didn't necessarily want to see that character redeemed. Ironically, I thought that Maleficent, the Angelina Jolie movies, kind of worked because they leaned hard into that redemption angle. Um, and, and I appreciated what they did with that. Ironically, I thought that Cruella didn't do that nearly as well. They made her sympathetic, but they made her still evil. Right. And in in some respects, that that as I was writing my review, which of course goes to to families and children and all that kind of stuff, it sends some mixed messages where you can be evil as long as you look really really cool doing it. And uh Evil looks very cool in this. It's super stylish, very glamorous, and ever so corrupt down at its very core, right? 
yeah, the the psychoticness of uh, that they they use that word a, right, a lot, right? Psycho or psychopath in relation to both Cruella and to uh, Emma Thompson's character, <clears throat> the Baroness. And there's there's even some nods potentially to uh, maybe some mental illness. Yeah. Stuff going on, you know, with yes. the split personality sort of nods and you're not quite sure whether they're saying this is a suppressed personality or just a suppressed side of who she is that it doesn't want to lean into because it wants to be a cool PG-13 appeal to the teens type of movie. And so I get why it doesn't go there. But because it doesn't go there, because it doesn't lean into sort of that darkness and grittiness the way a movie like uh, The Joker did, right, which definitely earned its R rating and was very gritty on all levels, you are left with this sort of mixed message of, wait, she's embracing like doing these psychotic things to other people just on a lower level. It won't include murder. So, and it will include great fashion and rock and roll, you know, punk rock. And it's all very glamorous and fine because it's only little B bad or (laughs) lowercase evil instead of uppercase evil. And so in a way, yeah, it doesn't lean into redemption. It's not willing to make her as evil as, a puppy right. killer you expect a puppy killer to be, but it's also not willing to redeem her. It's just like, hey, isn't it isn't this bad apple broad really cool because she gets what she wants and she walks all over people, but not isn't totally evil. And I can see that messaging being, you confusing. know confusing. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a little like I think I think C. S. Lewis once talked about his white witch character in that same vein, you know, um, how she was so nasty. I mean, she is really the personification of evil in some ways in the Chronicles of Narnia books. And yet even, even Lewis talked about how he couldn't help but be intrigued by her and even respect her for what she did. In some ways, if you want to get real literary, which I really don't want to do, but I'm going to go here anyway, it's a little like a Paradise Lost in John Milton, Mm -hmm. um, where there has been debate for hundreds of years over whether Satan, the main character in the book, is actually a hero or a villain. Um, It has just a little bit of that tang to it where – where Cruella is doing her own thing. And because she's so bold about how she does it, it makes her feel so embraceable in a certain way. But it's still bad. So what do you do with this bad character who is really watchable? Yeah, and it it glosses over the fact that she becomes very abusive to those close to her in, in real ways that I know real life human beings and even I myself have experienced in relationships with um, family or relationships at work or different different contexts where somebody becomes this you know and operates in this abusive way and uh, yet offers um, friendship offers words of uh, family and affirmation to keep people sort of entangled in, with them and their schemes and their abuse. Um, it's really messy in real life. It's really not fun, not just not fun, but it's really destructive 
in yeah. real life. And, and yet that's how Cruella treats Jasper and Horace. But it, and it, it almost looks for a moment like the movie's going to deal with that. And yet Cruella does one nice thing and says, you're, you're my family. And they're back in. And in the right? movie, and, means it sincerely, right? Either. Right, and it means like, oh, isn't isn't yes? She's she really is great, and she's the hero. And you know, maybe she talked mean once or twice, but it's okay. <laughs> um, and really, kind of then soft shoes over that, yeah. In in a way that I think is unhealthy because that is the way so many people are groomed in unhealthy relationships. I mean, there's even a lot of documentation on the more extreme side of of. You know, people coming from broken backgrounds, being groomed into dangerous situations with drugs, with alcoholism, with with gang activity through these relationships, even into sex trafficking through grooming Romeo relationships where it's, hey, I'm here for you. I'm your family. I'm your boyfriend. I'm your brother. I'm your father, like father figure. Hey, come do this thing with me. Hey, come like these. It's not just uh, fantasy for right. so many people in real life. And that was bothersome because it was so fun. I mean, I have to say, Cruella is a fun movie to watch. It is a fun movie to watch. And all of those problems really exist in fun movies sometimes. It, that's what it comes down to. It's it's very polished. The acting is tremendous. Um, it just looks cool. But it does feel thin and it feels like once you get under that that really smooth it, it's almost like the fashion industry itself right you you put on this beautiful thing and it it masks potentially the flaws in the wearer or at least the wearer thinks that it masks those flaws but the flaws are still there the flaws are still underneath and there are some really significant flaws with this movie. That doesn't mean that it's a terrible movie because it's not. It's a it's a good, fun, uh, enjoyable movie that showcases two really great actresses. But is it flawed? Yes, it is. And it was a little disappointing, honestly, to see where the movie went and where it didn't go, to your point where it didn't go. And I think that that all your thoughts on sort of the abusive way that it is used. You know, I keep coming back to these comparisons to Joker, you know, the mm. original. Yeah. Not only the, the Joaquin Phoenix Joker, which I think is actually the closest comparison of what this movie does to sort of um, make villainy look kind of attractive and understandable. But I also think about Joker's relationship with uh, with Harley Quinn. Yeah. You know, that is sort of passed off as this this laughing matter, but it's a pretty abusive relationship when you really look at it. And and those are issues that we really should grapple with in some of these entertainment things. Yeah. And was the one point that I thought that even suicide, the original Suicide Squad did decent. The one thing I thought it did decent was kind of showing the – the abuse that Joker perpetrated on Harley Quinn and the way he manipulated her. I thought that was actually pretty effectively done in that movie, even if underexplored and underutilized and uh, ultimately kind of undercut by the rest of what it does with Harley Quinn and with Joker. But you're, you're right. The, the Joker film is, I, I did keep thinking about it and thinking about how even if there's flaws in that movie, it felt 
more responsible, even in all the conversations that we had about places where it may still be irresponsible. uh, The Joker, after having seen Cruella, I'm like, oh, you can be even more irresponsible with some (laughs) of these issues. And I think Cruella is, and not just from an ethical standpoint, but even from a storytelling standpoint. Not dealing with those things does leave you with a shallow movie that, you know, is not going to probably resonate over time the same way because it fails to deal with some of the more serious issues and kind of comes off looking naive and vapid as a result, even though there's fun. Yeah, I think vapid is a good word for it. And and really, when you think about it, Disney was sort of trapped into this PG-13 box, Um and, and rightly so. I don't think anyone wants to necessarily see an R-rated Cruella movie, but it's hard for a movie within the confines of, of the Disney universe to get to the dog killer Cruella without going to some really dark, not very entertaining places, right? It would be, no kid wants to see a puppy being skinned. Yeah, it just it just feels like one of those things that... that this was a compromise that Disney made to make this movie. If you decide you're going to make a movie about Cruella and you're not going to go to extremes, if you're not going to, you just can't be fair to the character that we knew in 101 Dalmatians and do it in a way that would be palatable to, to that many families. Yeah. Or that many people, really. Not possible. Uh, I do have to say, I thought it was funny under uh, in addition to everything else that i think one of the reasons it ends up sort of working and feeling as entertaining as it does is that paul did you notice it sort of the storyline rips off another uh famous movie franchise <laughs> even the spoiler even the big grand reveal spoiler i was like oh my gosh oh. they just ripped off george lucas and we know George Lucas, of course, ripped off the hero's journey, but this was a Star Wars it did with feel, the yeah, yeah the secretive, you know, the child being raised away from the parent, the parent not being, you know, uh, the child not being aware of it, and then having this reveal of oh, yeah. the villain is my mother, yeah. and I must try to go after my mother. You know, I have to take on my mother. Yeah, this is. This is the, what would have happened if if Luke had chosen the dark side eventually, right? Yeah. <laughs> because that that is sort of where it goes. I mean, it says, join me on the dark side. And there, there are things where you see the Baroness really respect Estella and her talent and her uh, connivingness as well. You yeah, can the Baroness is like Darth Vader and Emperor Palpatine rolled into one. <laughs> And also like a little bit like Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's like they took Obi-Wan because she mentors her and trains her in the art of fashion and finds that she's maybe more talented than her and then becomes Darth Vader. I am your mother and then becomes Palpatine. Like, come join me on the dark side. So they just rolled all those characters into one and we have a pretty great villain. I mean, that's talent for Emma Thompson to play three characters. (laughs) Well, and I do think, I mean, as, as we think about our next segment, if we were doing live action Disney movies, man, the Baroness might claim a spot on my list. She was so she was so delightfully evil. Like as as much as we've sort of hammered on the moral problems with Cruella, and there are very many moral problems, 
I just cannot help liking Emma Thompson's Baroness. I think she was just great. Great. Not that I'm aspiring to be her, but. Sure, sure. Uh, (laughs) For other platitudes, I will say I appreciated what Disney did with Jasper and Horace. Those characters were a lot of fun and and very sympathetic from my perspective. Paul's. You know, Paul's shaking his head like he they didn't quite connect with him. Lean into that a little bit, Paul. You know, I thought that Jasper was almost a little too nice in, in a way. I mean, I and I'm used to the Horace and Jasper that you see in the cartoons. Um, kind of superficial, kind of I mean, Jasper in the cartoon, he is a nasty dude. And Jasper in here was really nice and just put upon. So it was a different characterization than I was expecting. Well, sure. It leans back into the original premise of, again, fails yeah. to set up yep. what we are used to at the 101 Dalmatians universe. But from what this movie was, I enjoyed what they did with Jasper and Horace. I thought they were fun. They were a nice, uh, a nice change up in the midst of what's otherwise a lot of fastballs with the hard, fast talking, hard hitting Cruella and Baroness characters. Um, I. I thought the change-ups provided by Jasper and Horace were were helpful in the sort of pacing of the film. Yep, yep. I would agree. I also really liked the uh, the Mark Strong character, the butler, mm. um, the assistant. I thought that he he always does a really good job of being in these movies without acting at all. I mean, he just comes, and he comes in with his bald head, and he stands around, and he looks... He's got his voice. He's got his cool voice and his cool look. And he's always got a glint in his eye and his his face looks sharp. Like everything about his face looks sharp all the time. All the time. He is a very enigmatic character. And I I liked what he did in this. So So there you go. Cruella is on Disney Plus. Right now it's locked behind Premiere Access. You got to pay 30 bucks. I uh, didn't think I would be paying Disney 30 bucks for any of its premiere access, but uh, here I am. My wife really <laughs> yeah. was drawn in by the trailer. She likes these fashion movies, you know, Devil Wears Prada being one of her favorites. And so, of course, she was drawn in by the premise of Cruella and fashion. Did uh, she enjoy it? She did. I, I think she ended up liking it more than she expected, but in different ways than she expected, similar to to my experience with it. Yeah. So, are, did your kids watch it? Number one. No, no, we didn't. We didn't watch it with the kids. They're not quite there yet. Okay. So you're not having your kids actually doing split personalities, trying to to pass off their bad behavior as those of other other characters, perhaps. Inside. Not yet. They still just try to pass it off on each other, <laughs> or deny its existence entirely. <laughs> hmm, I've done that before. Paul, before we get to ranking villains, what would you give Cruella on a scale of 1 to 10? Cool. You know, for just pure enjoyability, I'd probably give it a 7. Um, for everything wrapped up together, I might give it a 4.5. There you go. Content caveat with Paul AC. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not the content caveat guy. I'm just going to go off of the entertainment factor for my score. Cinematically, I'm going to give Cruella a uh, a 7.2. I Ooh. think it does more things right than it does wrong in terms of the cinematic experience. It, it understands 
how to be entertaining, how to tickle the right funny bones, even if it doesn't get as deep or as nuanced as might be healthy for in many respects or better for more compelling storytelling in other respects it is still a fun watch you know you're not uh, you're not i don't think most people will be disappointed by what they get in it though it is a bit on the long side it is it is a very enjoyable movie and i do have to say it has my favorite dress i never thought i would say that in movies the uh, the moth dress was pretty great that that was uh well done well done i hate moths I would be like, there's an there's a character, this assistant character, to the Baroness who just screams during the entire moth sequence. That would absolutely be me. See, my thing is grasshoppers, but that's another podcast. Yeah, well, we'll deal with that we'll later. We'll unpack that later. Now it's time for Rank Geeks. Welcome back to Rank Geeks, a corner of our little show where we've gotten nice and sweaty in our initial conversation, and that sweat has sat for a bit, so now it's got some stank. And it's as it's stanky nerds putting things in numerical order, Paul contends that we call it Rank Geeks just because we're putting things in numerical order, but we all know the truth. (laughs) You know. Whenever you go into this odiferous realm of yours, I I think, why why do I do this podcast? Why? <laughs> it's the devil you know, Paul. <laughs> so can I we, just say, this was a very hard list to put together. I, I had a difficult time putting this list together because there are so many great villains. And I also had a difficult time putting this list together because there are so many Disney animated movies that I haven't seen. <laughs> How is that possible? You have children. I, I do have children. And so I have, I have seen more in recent years uh, than, than maybe I had previously. However, you know, just growing up, I, I, w- I kind of grew up in a bit of a, a, bit of a dry period when it comes to Disney animated content, right? Some, there were a couple of classics that came out when I was a young child that I wasn't watching because I was either too young or my parents weren't, you know, ready to have me watch them yet. And so then by the time I got older and could be more interested in stuff coming out, there wasn't anything coming out when I was kind of of age for the Disney films. And so I wasn't going back to many of the classics. There were a couple in my rotation, but my parents were very selective on the Disney films growing up. So for those reasons, I I just didn't have a whole lot in my repertoire Hmm. growing up. And then by the time, by the time it was time for me to like start catching up on stuff, I was more interested in catching up on Chris Farley or Indiana Jones or things of that nature. I had always thought that there was like an American rule that you had to watch a certain number of Disney movies in your childhood or at least in your life, you know, because I didn't think you could actually escape Snow White, Pinocchio, Bambi, Fantasia, Alice in Wonderland. I thought those were almost required viewing. Well, those those might be. And I think I might have just squeaked by on the the very bottom end of that rule like i the only one of those i have not seen is fantasia 
Oh, Fantasia. That's interesting. Well, this will be a fascinating conversation then. That's right. I think Paul's going to love my list. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. So just just for the record, I do have to say that I, I got even geekier on this than I typically do, where I actually not only did I rank them in order, but I gave them numerical scales for their sheer evilness just to see if I could figure out where they legitimately ranked. So I feel like I have a fairly definitive list. I love that you're you're balancing out my my your fanboy is balancing out my know it all here because I'm really leaning into my know it all of I haven't seen everything but I have an opinion and you're like no I'm a fanboy I have got my list it's in numerical order I've created a sliding I've created a scale where I've ranked each of them on a number of traits and came up with my list. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So this fits. Uh, and I think because of that, we got to give you the last say on the list, which means I should probably start with number five on my list. I think you should because your list is going to be wrong. Most likely you will think so and I will not. <laughs> number five on my list of top five Disney animated villains is from actually from a 2011 flick, Paul. And the movie is called Winnie the Pooh. What? And the villain is the Baxson. Oh my goodness. The Baxson is malevolent in this really, really sneaky way. He's got a catchy song. And at the end, you get a little sneak peek of the Baxson. And he tries to play himself off as this real aw shucks nice guy. But when you look at the qualities that a Baxson has, what a Baxson does, they're sneaking into your library, scribbling in all of your books. Paul, I see the library behind you. I know how pissed off you'd be if somebody scribbled in all those books. That is loathsome. And the Baxson would do that. Uh, they would tangle up the hooks that you use to decorate your Christmas tree, decorating trees with children. A tangled hook is... Absolutely the worst. Baxson does that. They spoil the milk. They stop all the clocks. They put holes in your socks. Paul, have you gotten holes in your socks in recent years? I get holes in my socks a lot. And it really, really irks me off. And now I have somebody to blame, the Baxson. Uh, let's see. They make you sleep too late. Uh, they took Eeyore's tail. They make you feel as small as a mouse. They break your crayons. They spill your teas. This might be the worst one right here. They wake up babies at one and three. <laughs> I have had legitimate, like temporary insanity caused by babies waking yeah. up that much. Well, there is, there is truth in that. I've been there as well. And uh, they clog your pipes. They dig up your garden and they won't beg your pardon. They eat your snacks. They won't relax. They chip your tooth. And Paul, they steal your youth. The Baxen. The Baxen. Let me just get this straight. Wicked nasty. Let me get this straight. The Baxen, number five on your list. Yep. Shere Khan, who wants to cure, kill a little child, doesn't make your list. I explained this already. Something that scribbles in books does. I explained this, this already, Paul. <laughs> this 
feels like well but still you're talking about Shere Khan is is a he does do what a tiger does yeah right? but but so does the Baxen and Shere Khan's killing of a child is is objectively worse than scribbling in a book so Paul again I cannot get onto an animal for doing what it was made to do, getting food for itself. I may want to save the child for human reasons, but the animal is not evil. The Baxen has no, has no objectively. But so that's not an objectionable goal. A, isn't he just doing what a Baxen does? But what a Baxen does has no sustain. It doesn't sustain him. Scribbling in his books, doesn't feed his dinner. Maybe it does. Looking up babies at one and three doesn't <laughs> help him does. have a full belly for hibernation season, even though yes, I know tigers know. don't hibernate. You never know. There is no explanation for why the Baxen does it. He just does it to be bad, and that is evil. Oh, my. Case closed. Shere Khan just needs to eat. He's he, wasting away out there in the jungle. But he's not doing it because he needs to eat. He's doing it because he's afraid of – he's doing it out of fear. Out of, fear. out of fear. Because, yes, because people – for food. He can eat anything. Yeah, people are coming trying to destroy his home, <laughs> hunt him down to steal the literal skin off his back. What would you do, Paul? I mean, really, Shere Khan, it might be the most misunderstood. Well, I would take revenge by scribbling in some books because that is clearly the worst thing that you can do. I gave a whole lot of other reasons that you are <laughs> overlooking right now. <laughs> I, get, I only included that one for you and your little <laughs> library there. What's number? Who's number five on your list, Paul? Number I, five. I defy you. I defy you to give one more evil and more loathsome. Oh, mine is much more evil. Much, much I more. I say that I've got four that I consider more loathsome above the Baxton, so <laughs> you'll probably succeed. <laughs> much, much more evil. Is my number five Maleficent? Very, very evil. I know that this is going to be one of the names on your list because you love voice actors and this one is a tremendous voice. Maleficent has one of the coolest, evilest voices in all of Disneydom. Um, she is so evil. I mean, number one, she was not invited to a party. That's the whole catalyst for Sleeping Beauty. And Pretty weak backstory, if you ask it, me. It is, and you can understand why she would be peeved. I, I like to be invited by to parties, and, and I get a little bit miffed. But the, the idea that she wanted to kill this little girl went on her 16th birthday by a pinprick, it just seemed really, really petty, shall we say. Petty, outsized response. She very, very evil. Very evil. And she gets special points, too, for having an evil bird and for living in quite the evil-looking castle and for having evil minions and for turning into a dragon at the end. You know, I think big points that, for that. All of that qualifies her as big-time evil. She, uh, I gave her an 8.2 of evilness on my list, whereas think- the Maxon would just be a 2.5. Wow, that's... I now suspect your list in significant ways. Uh, Again, I think you can just rewind the tape and go listen to that list I gave and uh, way worse than having a pet bird. Killing, killing Aurora 
the princess. She didn't kill her. But she wanted to. Only, <laughs> only the fairy uh, godmothers it helped her not die, but just go to sleep. She was ready to kill that poor, innocent girl. I will give her I in my book she gets extra points for the elaborate and ridiculous nature of the scheme. It takes a devious mind to come up with a list like that, a, a plan like that for sure. Number 4 on my list, Paul is uh Isma. Oh, Isma from the Emperor's New Groove. Isma. Similar similar to Maleficent. Arguably a pretty petty reason for her yeah. murderous intent. Yes. You know, she's she was tired, kind of, right? She was committing treason, really, by trying to replace the emperor, you know, behind his back while he was still alive. I mean, that's pretty bold. And so he fired her for it. I mean, which is probably what most emperors would do in that scenario. And hey, look, I get why she's bothered by that. She kind of she thinks she raised the kid. Maybe she did raise the kid, but to jump straight to murder, I mean, come on, <laughs> it does seem an extreme response. Pretty harsh. So I like big points for that petty response. Like, oh yeah, oh I'm gonna I'm gonna straight murder you over dinner, <laughs> which he was also not successful doing, just yeah. like Maleficent. And, you know, she, she tried to draw innocent people into her schemes, you know, visiting, visiting uh, Pacha's family. Like uh, anytime you start involving the family of, of just innocent bystanders, that gets my hackles up. And I think that really ups you on the, yeah. the malevolence scale. Well, I, I do have to say that, that Yzma did make it into consideration. She finished uh, about... 15th on my list with a 5.8 because she only tried to kill one person, just one person. It's true. That's not, I don't dock people for having focus, even if they (laughs) have, you know, it's to me, that could be a strength because that's a lot of determination and stick-to-itiveness, which I like in a villain, you know, she did turn into a pretty evil cat. I do have to say, that's right. Cute but evil. Those are the worst kinds of cats. Actually, those are all cats. Not number all cats, four, but number four. It's a oh, different pretty list. Pretty much all cats. Pretty different much all list. Cats are evil. Um, number four for me, Scar. Scar from The Lion King. He is one bad family member. He also didn't kill that many people slash lions. Um, he only killed one. But it was his brother, and I think he gets special evil points for doing that. Um, he just—he is just a terrible, terrible, terrible king who also kills people or lions. And to support your pick here, even though I don't have Scar on my list, I did consider him for my list because arguably, although he – we we blame him for the murder of his brother – you know, although our, you could one could argue that it was just some simple wildebeest that happened to stampede <laughs> over the top of him. You know, again, doing what wildebeests do, stampeding. <laughs> and maybe Scar is innocent and doesn't deserve to be on the list. That's not my take, I'm just saying. It could be someone's take. But 
he he does do a pretty poor job as a leader, kind of leading, if I remember correctly. It's been a while since I've watched it, but he kind of destroys like yeah. he, the land. It leads to a lot of like drought and nastiness falling yeah. over what was previously a very fertile and life-giving yeah. place. And so he probably by proxy led to the death of many animals in the drought and you know devastation that happened under his poor – stewardship of the land yeah not that we can necessarily blame him for the lack of rain but yet it seems like the movie does for sure and he was clearly not a very good leader he was he was sort of the caligula of of big lion leaders you get the sense and and yeah he was uh he was just he was just very uncool so even though he didn't actually do that much murdering um he's still way more evil than shere khan because for sure, whereas we talked about Shere Khan doing what tigers do, he was a little bit vindictive, but I totally get what you're saying. But Scar was just flat out bad. He was deceptive and manipulative and cruel and ruthless. Very passive aggressive, really. Yeah. yeah. Extra. I, I find that extra loathsome, the passive aggressiveness of villains. Yeah. Like, be straightforward with it, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I better – people have called, called, accused me of being passive-aggressive at times, and so maybe I better change that because you would hate that. <laughs> oh, that sounds like an episode for our psychoanalysis <laughs> podcast. Number three on my list comes from The Beauty and the Beast. Of course, I could put The Beast on here because he is – pretty evil in a lot of significant ways and abusive. And, you know, there's a whole thing about the Stockholm syndrome that Belle experiences because, you know, he kidnaps her and is abusive to her in his castle and, you know, all that. But I put Gaston as number three on my list because this sexist SOB needs to be (laughs) called out. So, yeah, this is another this is another villain that I totally disagree with because yes, he is sexy. Because you hate women, right? Say <laughs> admit it. That is not correct. That is not correct. No, he is definitely sexist, but sexist does not make you a prime Disney villain. And the truth is, yes, he turns out really bad, but you could argue that it's sort of he sort of develops this badness as the movie goes on. And, and the idea of where he gets to was sort of a little bit, it wasn't premeditated. It was a crime of passion, a oh. crime of passion. And oh. when you commit a crime of passion, you don't get the lifetime ban from the judge. A crime of passion? <laughs> it's totally a crime of passion. Not that bad? And he To has- start? He has a great song to boot. You can't. Oh, Paul. Oh, Paul. He, now he, we need to have a whole episode on the evils and destructiveness of toxic masculinity. And you are whitewashing right over the fact that he was a he was a he was a big bad apple. He was big a big B word in the yeah. beginning of the film. He he didn't he, – this was all there. It was latent. Just because we don't have his full backstory, Paul, we see who he is at the beginning of the film. And you just whitewash him because he has this cheery song about him and be like, oh, he's not that bad. He's just a little bad. That, I, that is just not going to stand, Paul. But I do not stand for that. I condemn it. 
if if the if the beast never came into the picture, if Bell just sort of he would him still down, be just as loathsome. He would he would not have committed so many crimes though. He would just have been a bad person who you would have hated to see. You definitely would have. He definitely was a towel snapping jerk, right? He was that that guy in the locker room who you despise. But that does not make him the primary evildoer of a Disney list like this. He is just not evil enough to make. He's sneakily one of the most loathsome villains in the Disney canon because he was wreaking havoc on that community. And sure, maybe it's a slow burn. Maybe the murderousness wouldn't have come out. But he's definitely abusive, definitely manipulative. The way he just is running like he ah uh, man the the behind the scenes devastation happening with Gaston in what my imagination <laughs> is imagination is absolutely <laughs> monstrous there's the key there's the key most of the people in the village seem to really like Gaston for the most part right that, so he's that, not that necessarily- is he's a big favorite amongst the villagers Abun- he- amongst the village drunks at the bar well, but all the women sort of fawn over him and all of this kind of stuff. I think that I think that he is well liked. This does not make him a good person, but I don't know if he's wreaking that much havoc on the village. He may uh, be a poisonous influence on the village, but not not a prime villain. One day, one day we're gonna get a Disney Plus series called Gaston. Oh, and you're gonna see you know it. you're gonna see how much trouble he caused on the back end of that town over time it's gonna i'm gonna make the movie just to prove it i'm gonna make the series just to prove you wrong i'm gonna do it i can tell you for a fact that gaston is not as evil as my number three villain on the late on us this is a deep cut probably a movie that you have not seen probably not a lot of people have seen i'm going with doris the hat from me the robinson's Doris the Hat. I have seen the movie, but I completely forgot about her as a villain, and so I award you no points. <laughs> so essentially, you've got this this mustache twirling bad guy, right? Who is lurking throughout most of the movie. He looks like sort of this snidely whiplash, classic vaudeville villain, right? Mm. As it turns out. His hat, his bowler hat, was actually controlling him all this time. And we see this flash forward into what Doris wants the world to be. She creates this incredibly dark dystopia. Makes the little land, the little savanna that's, that Scar turns you know, into a, a bad place, makes it look like a nice little Eden-like paradise. Doris the Hat wants massive destruction, just like that, just like what you're hearing in your house right now, Jake. <laughs> that is loud. destruction. There's some a herd of wildebeests. I think I might be being Lion king right now. <laughs> yes. So Doris the Hat, definitely, because we can judge her motives, they are not good motives. And probably also minus points for, you know, going after an orphan kid. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Doris gets an eight point seven on my evilness scale. Boy, they're tightly packed in there. What 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 did? Uh, I don't think you gave us the number for Scar. It was no, eight point no, two for Scar Maleficent. Eight point three. Eight point three. So barely, barely. Uh, yeah, all of above them. Maleficent. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So a little bit of a jump here. 
Yeah, exactly. 8.7 definitely gets a little bit higher in the rankings for sure. So um, by comparison, just so you know, the original Cruella DeVille landed far down on the list with the 6.5. Because ultimately, you know, killing puppies looks yeah. real bad on paper, but at the same time, it's just animals and who cares, right? Is that what you're saying, Paul? It's, it's That's not what I'm saying. That was me quoting Paul's <laughs> in my imagination. It's pretty evil, but we – first of all, we do not have any definitive proof that she ever killed a puppy. She just wanted to. And, you know, it, it's obviously different in the eyes of the law if you just want to kill somebody than if you actually kill somebody. Sure. I mean that undercuts your point about Doris the Hat just a wee bit. Oh, but she was really bad. And she controlled – But her intention was much worse, yes. Exactly, exactly. The intention was much worse and because she actually sapped the 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 pre the, the, the free will of of you know her person, I think that makes all the more evil. Free will is a big thing on my list. So kind of a thing. I, I hear you with that. Number two on my list comes actually from one of Paul's favorite Disney movies of all time. And uh, that is Robin Hood from 1973. Oh my goodness. You are kidding me. It's it's a terrible movie, but it's, it's not a terrible, terrible movie. villain inside the movie too. Why? Because you think I'm going to pick Prince John? Oh, you're not because I'm not Prince picking John. Prince John. Prince oh. John is a terrible, whiny, stupid villain, and is yeah. not the best villain in the film or uh, or ever. The who's actually the more villainous is, and why he landed number two on my list is the sheriff of Nottingham. The sheriff of Nottingham. Now, why did the sheriff of Nottingham beat out Prince John? Because Prince John ultimately is just he's whiny. He is really more of a character who's dealing with some uh, parental issues that never got resolved, unresolved parental issues, jealousy of, yeah, jealousy of the brother, right, King Richard, and uh, and and is really doesn't do a whole lot when you actually watch and break down the Robin Hood movie. The Sheriff of Nottingham really seems to be the whole brains behind the operation. Right? No. In my opinion. Sort of like, uh, you know, if we were going to real life characters here, the Sheriff of Nottingham from the Robin Hood movie with Kevin Costner, as played by um, Alan Rickman. Well. Real, real solid. Real solid villain and certainly informs my read of the Prince of the Sheriff of Nottingham from this film because he's the one who's actually going around doing the tax collecting. Literally, beating up on crippled people like you know and you haven't seen this movie this isn't really a spoiler for the film but my wife and i walked out of the departed when it was in theaters Mm -hmm. because there's a scene where someone's cast some of the the, some of the bad guys break open a dude's cast and start wailing on the injured limb wow and that's literally what the sheriff of nottingham does except he doesn't open up the cast but he starts wailing on a crippled person's injured limb he literally uh, assaults a priest and robs from a church and extorts money, steals money from young children. 
he keeps a town in abject poverty. They don't even have like a bean to eat amongst them because of the sheriff. Like he's literally starving this town slowly and the inhabitants of this town slowly out of his yeah. sadistic plans. And the prince is really just cover for him yeah. because the prince is completely ineffectual as a leader in, in, in any of this. The sheriff of Nottingham just uses him as this cover to do whatever he wants and to absolutely abuse the entire town of Nottingham. And he doesn't, it's, he doesn't intend to do it. He actually does it. He See, actually perpetrates it and does it himself and enjoys doing it himself. And that's a level of malevolence that is, I mean, he's looking these children in the eye as they're starving. <laughs> and Disney kind of like papers over that by making them cute characters. Yeah. But in real, like that is, that is straight up awful. So I am I am thinking you're reading a little too much of that other movie into the Disney movie because really No, I'm talking about things that literally happen in the film. Well, yes, yes, I, I, I understand this, but I still think in the Disney movie the Sheriff of Nottingham is actually just taking orders. Not from you know, Prince John, like you say, I totally agree with you. He has some other issues, which makes him not a very good bad guy. I actually think it's the snake. Sir Hiss, who's the primary bad guy, because doesn't Sir Hiss convince Prince John to do what he does? In, I, in certain thought- places he does, but he doesn't have the same he, – he's a bit of a Grima worm tongue, right? Mm-hmm. You can see that. He's whispering in the king's ear. But he's also pretty – he's pretty uh, under the paw of Prince John in many ways that the Sheriff of Nottingham is not. Yeah, I, he doesn't I, perpetrate to the same degree that the sheriff of Nottingham does, which is why the sheriff rises above on my list in this film. Sheriff of Nottingham, I just can't take him seriously because of his accent. He loses. He loses. <laughs> That's part of what makes him so sneaky evil is you're like, oh, shucks, he's got a stupid southern accent. He can't be that bad. His voice kind of squeaks. I'm the sheriff of Nottingham. And you're like, oh, he's not that bad. And then you start listing off the things he does. And boy, he's an SOB. Well, once again, my number two has your number two beat hands down because my number two is Ursula the Sea Witch. Mm. From The Little Mermaid. I don't know if I would have put her on my list, but then I got to thinking about her a little bit more because we actually don't see her kill anybody. But the fact is she sucks in people's souls, which is worse, right? Takes away their free will, uses them as little plants that sort of hover around with their little googly eyes. Um, it's very, very manipulative and she doesn't really seem to have a reason for doing this at all. I mean, when you look at some of these other people, you can see that they have, even if they're terrible reasons, you can see reasons. Maleficent was bummed because she wasn't invited to a party. Scar always had this jealousy thing going on, right? Ursula is just bad. She is just bad and she takes people's souls and she steals their gifts and that's not very nice. So she is number two on my list and way worse than the Sheriff of Nottingham. See this, uh, I would be curious to know, based on what you just described, I failed to see how she would rise above these other characters. Now, I'll grant you, in appearance, in sort of the creepy aspect of her character design and who, you know, this 
big mobster that she can become, certainly visually, I'm I'm there with you for this this ranking. But in terms of all these other traits that you've talked about previously, it seems like she kind of fails on the scale that you've listed out. So I'm wondering how she ended up rising above, like on your point scale here. Uh, this is very, very easy. I go to the Bible. The Bible. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Matthew. Hit me with this. Uh-huh. And do not be afraid of those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him or her who is able to destroy both soul and body. I there see. you go. So you got you you know, you have these She's low on all these other categories, but this one. <laughs> it's the soul thing. You know, you can kill the body, and a lot of these people do kill the bodies, but but because of what Ursula does to these to these souls, she just ties them up and bottles them up and sometimes uses them in potions. You see that their their little fearful googly mm-hmm. eyes. It's mm-hmm. very very traumatic for a lot of these these creatures. So okay. I I do think that uh, that Ursula, when you think about not only just snuffing out their little existences, but creating this sort of living hell, Ursula definitely takes the cake. Okay, you know what? I buy that, Paul. I buy that, and I accept your ranking. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the first time in a while <laughs> number one on my list is uh madame medusa from the rescuers <laughs> oh, yeah. this is one that she got extra points in my book because of this very realistic evil character design. I mean, when I think back about some of the most creeped out I've ever been watching a Disney film, I do think of Madame Medusa because she feels like somebody I've seen in real life and been (laughs) creeped out by in real life. And the story seems terrifyingly plausible that this evil woman would kidnap an orphan child out of basically the foster care system and abuse her emotionally and physically to in pursuit of this wealth and oh man that look on her i mean i know people i do know someone who has literally was inspired to get into social work to take care of children in the foster care system because of madame medusa because it was you know, seeing this story and the plight of this young girl, Penny, right, was so traumatic and seeing this great evil, it changed her entire life trajectory and who she'd become as an adult. That's pretty And uh, so for me, just the connection into real life evil, sort of like Gaston, but on another level uh, for me. Yeah. In ter- and and the Sheriff of Nottingham. All of them, for me, outside, like Yzma and the Baxen. Well, the Baxen has some connection into some real-life trouble, too. I'm not going <laughs> to undercut myself there. That's some real stuff right there. But their connection into these real-life evils that are perpetrated in and among us in very malevolent ways and loathsome ways uh, weighed very heavily on my rankings for who were the most loathsome Disney villains. And so the way she would... Uh, abuse this child in some really horrific manner, uh, in a really horrific manner. Um, goodness gracious. And the way that does happen in real life, like this is a terrifying Disney movie. 
a traumatic Disney movie in so many ways. And so Madame Medusa yes. landed at number one on my list. Well, I do have to say that she is a pretty vile character. I, and, and she is, when you think about the rescuers, she is definitely probably the most memorable part of the rescuers. I still remember, I haven't seen it in decades, right? But I still remember her pulling off her fake eyelashes. <sighs> so yeah, she's she is not a good person. However... <laughs> You're going to disagree with me on this one? I, Tread I, I, lightly, I, Paul. You make some really good points, but but we are talking about quantitative data here. And You're talking about quantitative she data. She doesn't really kill anybody. She does emotionally abuse this poor girl. But, but I mean, in the grand scheme of things, Ursula is trapping thousands upon thousands of souls into her little hideaway. You know, you went and, from oh, she might get a couple of souls here or there to thousands upon thousands. <laughs> Let the record show Paul so, is is uh, he's he's going back and retconning his own list. Millions of souls. So I have on on my list, Madame Medusa. Actually, I did consider her because she really is awful, and what she does to that little girl is really terrible. But quantitatively, on my objective list. Mm-hmm. She only managed a six point two. She actually finishes below Cruella Deville, the original. I don't even have to try to get Paul in trouble for this one. He's the one himself saying that she's not that bad. <laughs> she is pretty bad. She <laughs> is pretty bad. But so yes, according to a qualitative analysis, sure. But according to a quantitative, most loathsome analysis, I stand by, which is my reasoning. Thank you very much. I stand by my pick. Um, I uh, officially authorize my pick. Thank you. Clearly, Your turn, number one. Clearly, I have won this whole ranking system because my number one is the epitome of all evil, Chernabog. Never Ooh. seen it. Doesn't count. What? Said never seen it. Doesn't count. Oh, my goodness. Fantasia oh. sucks. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> we are putting this on your backlist right now, mister, because you have to watch Fantasia. It is required viewing, required viewing. And I tell you what, the Chernabog scene, he's the devil on top of the mountain, a uh, night on Bald Mountain that's at the very end of the movie. It creeped me out seriously when I was a little kid. When I was six or seven, that terrified me. And you have this this demonic creature sitting on top of this mountain, you know, taking in these souls and dumping uh, them in the fire and weaseling around. And he's manipulating all sorts of matter. And it's just very, very disturbing. Now, I I was arguing with my son about this. And he was saying that, that well, he's just doing what he does, sort of like Shere Khan. <laughs> but, when, but when what you're doing is really the epitome of evil, you know, I, I don't think that that really gives you a pass. Correct. That is where, you know, doing what he does is one thing when you're an animal who by nature just needs to eat food and protect its turf. Right. It's another thing when you are the epitome of all evil and doing your thing is <laughs> yeah. destroying souls. Yeah, it is not. It is it is sort of a different category, really. So 
Yeah. So number one on my list, the demon on on old Baldy or whatever on Fantasian Chernabog is what he has become known for, and and he is really pretty much the quintessential evil thing in movies. Sure. I mean, it sounds like where uh, Ursula maybe got thousands of souls, millions, <laughs> that perhaps Chernabog has gotten trillions over time. Well, he is not a very good entity. We'll just leave it at that. And man, he is really disturbing. Even even talking about him now, seeing that leering smile on his face, oh, very creepy. Very I wouldn't creepy. be surprised if that's partially the reason I've only ever seen like the broomstick scene in Fantasia. <laughs> Which is a, a great little scene, but yeah. You really need to watch the entire movie, Jake. I cannot believe Here's- that. Here's how little here's how little I know about Fantasia. Is there a story? No. No. Okay. There are there are like stories in the little vignettes, right? The Yeah. The I thought it was more of a vignettes thing, but I was like, is there a story to this thing? No. Like how do you have a villain if it's a vignette? Like he's just because the villain of one vignette or is he somehow yeah. connected to all the stories? No, no, he's not connected to all the stories, but you have these short stories. And you have villains in each of them. Like in okay. the one that you've seen, Mickey Mouse is technically the villain. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because he I disobeys his master. And then when things go awry, he murders the broom. Wow. Murders, straight wow. up murders the broom. Mickey coming in hot at number six on my list right there. <laughs> <laughs> So it's really like Parashitame, but, you know, cartoon and, you know, features the devil. Yeah. yeah Got it. Exactly. Got it. There you have it. The top 10, no crossovers on our list. No crossovers. I'm really surprised. I thought Maleficent was going to make your list. but No, I uh, never seen all of Sleeping Beauty. So there's that. Oh, my goodness, Jake. What is wrong with you? Well, you know, Paul, blame my parents. all their fault i take no responsibility and with that it's time for you to tell us who you're most loathsome whether you judge it qualitatively or quantitatively or whether it's a mix of both for you hit us up on twitter i'm at jake underscore roberson i'm at ac paul but now it's time for the most least important thing Here we are in the most least important thing, the way we love to wrap up every single little show of ours. It's Paul's favorite segment because it means the show is almost done. (laughs) He's almost free to enjoy the rest of his evening. So, Paul, why don't you kick us off? Jake, I am going to tell you about something that is very, very closely related to what we've been talking about this very evening. Cruella? Dalmatian fur? (laughs) <laughs> maybe who puppy knows? slaughter <laughs> not puppy slaughter let's hope not but the museum of pop culture uh is actually co- um, combining or or partnering with walt disney archives to mm. unveil a new exhibit called heroes and villains the art of the disney costume 
Oh. It is coming about. It is going to be opening June 5th, and it has a whole bunch of really famous outfits from from the live-action movies. Obviously, the animated movies do not have a lot of outfits that you can display, but you see a lot of interesting um, fashion work that sort of illustrates the character of the of the people underneath. You have designs from Cinderella. You have stuff from the original, uh, or not the original, but the live-action Aladdin. You have Mary Poppins's first costume. And I am sure that there is plenty of Cruella to be found in this exhibit. It sounds actually kind of interesting because I always am fascinated with how movies illustrate characters through makeup through design through even the architecture that surrounds these characters i'm I'm kind of interested about that it is there's a part of me that is fascinated because i agree that the costumes often make the villain i mean what they did with killmonger even in the black panther really loved mm-hmm. some of the costume design in like that they did even early in the film but I do find that disembodied from the villain or the hero itself, I do struggle to connect with the threads the way some people do. My wife is much more interested in fashion. Like when I see it as a standalone, it loses something for me because it, for me, it's the connection, almost the way the threads connect into the performance and hook themselves into and play a part of the performance itself that makes them compelling. And I, and when it unhooks itself from that, I have a difficult time personally connecting with it. But I know a lot of people love it. Yeah, I and I don't think that that's that's a bad take. I'm I'm actually pretty close to where you are. I mean, I think that that fashion is something I very 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 rarely notice, unless it's very in your face, like it was with the Cruella movie, like it was mm-hmm. with uh, with one of the all time classics, My Fair Lady. You know, you have certain movies where it just, it is really a huge part of the movie. But I do think that when you learn something more about it, I, it, it it's amazing the amount of thought that goes into some of these ancillary things that we never even think about. Um, you know, the set design for some of these things can be incredibly telling for the story that they want to tell. Um, it's, it is just... It just floors me how particularly people are to mm. what these accoutrements can be in telling a story. It, I do appreciate it. Even if I don't get there on my own personal level, I love when movies do care about these sorts of things and do pay a lot of attention to these details definitely appreciated at that level so want to make sure i give my nod to all the costume designers out there keep up <laughs> the good work my most least important thing also has to do with archive but in a very different way paul in uh just released and available over at archive.org online we now have the Super Mario Bros. Morton Jankel Cut VHS Extended Rough Cut 1.0 has been released. Oh and my goodness. Super I, Mario Bros. is one that's been on my – the 1993 version, live action film, is one that's been on my kind of wish list for us for a Hurt So Good. And now true. hearing 
because it's I've heard that it's awful. Yeah, yeah. And this extended cut is made by a group of fans who found previously undiscovered deleted scenes from the film and now have taken this bad 104-minute movie and made it a bad 125-minute <laughs> movie, including a subplot that has Mario and Luigi competing with a mafia-affiliated plumbing company. Oh, my goodness. Yes, we need to put this on our Hurt So Good list. This must go on it. Because I've wanted to see this. I wanted to see the original for a long, long time. I have heard so many terrible things about it. (laughs) I would love to see it. But this this fan cut? This fan hmm, cut. Sounds very intriguing. And it's available for free online. And it also includes a rap sequence that happens after the film's climax. So I'm very excited about that. Early 1990s Super Mario Bros. rap sounds real bad. (laughs) My goodness. So there you have it. It's available at archive.org. I'm going to put a link in the show description so you can find it if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform. It will be in the show description. So be sure to check that out as well. You know, if you're interested in these bad, hurt, so good films, a little preview that uh, hopefully this one will be coming down the pike for us here at Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know It All soon. But that's it. That's it for this episode. We'll get to that at another time. We we kind of came up with a lot of different rabbit trails that we'll need to go down eventually, uh, including, you know, some psychoanalysis of Paul. <laughs> so I'm excited for that. Paul's oh, passive aggressiveness. Coming to an episode near you, probably not. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in the meantime, until the next episode, you can catch up with us on Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I am at AC Paul. We'll catch you on the flip side. Bye. Bye.